If people ask me why I think the Bible is true, there's a lot of answers to that question. Firstly, there's archaeological evidences that add to the validity of the Bible. There's the cohesiveness of the Bible. It's another reason I think it is true. The Bible is written by 45 different authors over a span of 1,500 years across three different continents. Three different languages were used, and yet there are no contradictions. And there, within these books of the Bible, there's a unified story of God redeeming man. There's the external evidence. We have a quarter of the Bible is prophetic. And most of the prophecies that were made in the Bible have already been fulfilled. For example, 700 years before Jesus' birth, the city in which he was to be born was identified by the prophet Micah. There's anecdotal evidence. We're here, many of us are here because our lives have been changed by the power of the gospel. And societies and cultures have been turned upside down by the teachings of the Bible. And lastly, there's the genuineness of the Bible. So what do you mean by genuineness? Have you ever met someone and you could, you looked them in the eye, they looked you in the eye, and there was no, um, they're, they're not pretentious about anything. It's just kind of what you see is what you get. They're just real, just genuine. Don't you love people like that? Well, that's the way the Bible is, I think. The Bible doesn't tell us, especially the this narrative part of Scripture that we're studying now in First and Second Samuel, it doesn't tell us what should have happened. It tells us what happened. And what happens is we're able to see the flaws of the heroes in the Bible. I mean, think about Abraham. He was willing to give another man his wife to save his own neck. Think about Noah. He was drunk. Moses killed an Egyptian. Aaron made a golden calf. Gideon made an idol. He had an idol, right? And Peter denied Jesus three times. I mean, these are flawed individuals. We see the, the godly character, but we also see the, the struggles. And today we'll see in the Bible the imperfections of David. We've been seeing a need for a king. There's a need for the, a king in Israel. And Israel wanted a king, but they wanted a king like the other nations. They wanted someone a head taller than everyone else, a warrior type that would fight their battles for them. But Saul, whom they wanted, has be, been an utter failure, hasn't he? Because Saul has disobeyed the Lord time and time again. He didn't do what the the Lord wanted him to do, and so the Lord has rejected him as king of Israel. And Samuel the prophet has anointed David, the shepherd boy, the son of Jesse, to be king. So we've been, the last several months, we've been answering the question, how is David going to get from the pasture to the throne? Well, God sent an evil spirit to torment Saul, but David was known as a accomplished harpist, 
So he's brought in to soothe Saul with his lyre as he plays that for him. One day he goes to visit his brothers, and they're lined up to fight the Philistines, and he hears someone, Goliath, saying bad things about his God. And so what did David do? He killed Goliath when no one was willing to. He saved Saul, but he also saved Israel. And as, as people began to sing and, and tell stories about that event, they sang a song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And that caused Saul to be jealous of David. These seeds of jealousy grew into bitterness, which grew into paranoia. And Saul began to pursue David in order to take his life. David has done nothing but be gracious to Saul, and Saul continues to return David's good with evil. In the cave in Engedi that Jenny was speaking of during our worship time, David could have gotten retribution and taken Saul's life, but he didn't. He and Abishai walked into Saul's camp as the Lord put Saul and his 3,000 men into a deep sleep. Abishai wanted to take Saul's life, but David only allowed him to take his spear and his water jug. And in response, Saul tells David that he'll no longer seek to harm him, but David doesn't trust Saul, and rightly so. Saul's not trustworthy. David and his men, they're weary, and he thinks to himself, as Hunter read for us, I need a break. He doesn't seek the Lord. It doesn't tell us that he seeks the Lord. He doesn't seek good counsel. Well, I mean, think about who would he have gotten counsel from. Samuel's dead, possibly Gad, but he doesn't seek counsel. But I can just imagine David thinking the only place to get away is in enemy territory. Is this David taking matters into his own hands? I mean, why does he go to the Philistines? They're arch rivals. He's, David's taking matters into his own hands. And we saw Saul do this, didn't we? When Samuel was going to offer up a sacrifice, he didn't wait on, Saul didn't wait on Samuel to get there, and he offered it himself. He took matters into his own hands. We see David, is, is he doing the same, or is this David doing what he had to do to survive? It's, it's a difficult text for me. God had told David through the prophet Samuel, through Jonathan, through Abigail, that he would be king. David leaves Israel and goes to Philistia. Is this a means to an end? Is this what God wanted David to do? I think most likely not. But verse 4 tells us it did work, chapter 27, because Saul stopped seeking David's life. Finally, David and his men... And their families, they get some rest. So David became a, merc a mercenary for Achish, the king of the Philistines. And he was even so bold to ask for a place to live. And so Achish gave him Ziglag, which is on the border of Judah and Philistia. And it was perfect for him. It wasn't Judah, but it was perfect for him to be in an out-of-way place. But it's interesting, in chapter 26, verse 19, David said to be forced to leave the land was like being told to go serve other gods. In fact, the prophet Gad had told David when he was in 
the Philistine territory to get back to Judah in chapter 22, verse 5. Why the land of the Philistines of all places? He had gone there once, you remember? It had been a disaster. He went there to Gath with Goliath's sword. You remember, and just as quickly as he got there, he had to leave, escaping only by his quick wits and his good acting skills. So why does he go to the land of the Philistines again? Not real sure. Verse 8 through 12, while David was there, he began to make raids against other pagan nations. He spent these 16 months doing what David did best. He was a, a warrior. He was a general. He went to battle. And it's interesting, the, the people that's named here, the Geshurites, Gerzites, and the Amalekites, these are all nations that the Israelites, when they entered the Promised Land, you remember they crossed the Jordan? And what did God tell the Israelites to do? Once they crossed the Jordan to take the Promised Land that God had promised them, what did God tell them to do with the peoples living in that land? Yeah, to to destroy all those nations. He says, don't leave those people because what's going to happen if you leave them there, they're going to lead you into idolatry because all these people, they're idolaters. And so what David is doing is he is doing to them what God told the Israelites to do years ago. David dealt with them the same way God told Saul to deal with the Amalekites in 1 Samuel 15. So David was bringing back plunder from these raids. And Achish would ask him where it came from and what would David do? He would lie. He says, well, I'm, I'm going into Judah and, and, the, and not only in Judah but in the, the allies of Judah and I'm making raids there, and he's bringing back all this plunder. Well, finally, look at verse 12. See the result of that. And Achish trusted David, thinking he has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel. Therefore, he shall always be my servant. So what is David doing? He's pulling the wool over Achish's eyes. So Achish thinks he's a turncoat. And thinks that he is loyal to him. Then we get in chapter 28. And David had made quite the impression on Achish. Who made David his bodyguard. But one day Achish tells David. That he's going to battle against Israel. And wanted he and his men to fight with him. Against his own people. Not just against his own people. But the people that he will one day rule and reign over the people he'll one day shepherd. Wow. So David's in a, what we call a pickle. He's in a predicament, isn't he? What is he to do? Well, in the meantime, how is Saul handling all of this? The Philistines are began raiding again, and they're coming up against Israel, preparing to attack. Well, he's not doing well. He is afraid. And it's interesting, you know why the Philistines are wreaking havoc against Israel? Because David 
Israel's guard dog has been ran out of town. Isn't that amazing? David's fired all his good help. And now they're on their own and the Philistines are about to attack. So Saul inquires of the Lord, which is interesting. We don't see him doing that very often, but it's a little too little too late. Samuel's dead, and when he cries out to the, to the Lord, crickets. The Lord's not speaking to Saul. Saul's on his own. But the problem is Saul can't handle things on his own. So he thinks, well, I'll seek out a sorcerer, a spiritist, a medium, a witch, if you will. And this person, they had a Ouija board and a Zodiac all on hand, right? But the problem is they had to find one because previously Saul, he had a, a harmful spirit affecting him, sent by the Lord. And Saul had sent away all the witches in the land. So they had to find one. They had been banned. In verse 8, They found one. It says, verse 8, Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. And he said, divine for me by spirit and bring up for me whomever I shall say to you. Well, they found one, and Saul is seeking her help, but notice he goes at night and he's disguised. And why do you think that is? Because he's embarrassed and he's ashamed. And he knows this isn't what he should do. And look at verse 9 through 14. The woman said to him, Surely you know that Saul, what Saul has done, he's disguised, right? She didn't know who he is. And how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? But notice Saul. He's not very close to the Lord. In fact, at this point in time, the Lord's against him. But Saul swore to her by the Lord. That's interesting. I'm going to swear to you by the Lord, and you're participating in some witchcraft, right? Some voodoo. No, interesting. As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Now, the Lord, he's not good enough to be obeyed, but he's good enough to swear by, right? It's interesting. Oh, Saul, he had it all wrong, didn't he? Then the woman said, verse 11, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice, and the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to, to Saul, I see a God coming out of the earth. And he said, what is, what is his appearance? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he's wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed his face to the ground and paid homage. Now, the witch brings up Samuel. We don't know how she did this, and rightly so, because if we did, there's a lot of wicked people. Can you imagine the wicked people in our world? They'll be trying to, do, to emulate her, right? You're like, man, this is really a strange passage. It really is. It's strange. But this is something that humans don't do, right? In fact, Le Leviticus chapter 19, verse 31, the law of God, do not turn to mediums or necromancers, do not seek them out, and so make yourself unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. I mean, they're commanded in the law. This is something you don't dabble with. We don't dabble in the metaphysical. People aren't supposed to go beyond the physical realm, are they? It's too much for us. God says, I'll tell you about death. You don't tell me. So verse 15, Saul tells Samuel why he has brought him up. Look at verse 15. 
Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warned against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore I have summoned you to tell me what to do. Let's read Samuel's response to Saul in verse 16. This is what Samuel says. Why then do you ask me since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? Right, and he says, the Lord is against you. you. He's your enemy. He opposes you. The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of the Israel into the hands of the Philistines. So Samuel tells Saul, I've already told you all of this. Why are you bringing me up? Why are you asking these questions? I've already addressed this with you. You've been rejected by the Lord. You haven't obeyed the Lord. You haven't listened to his commands. You're not submitted to his will. So the Lord has rejected you. He's rejected you and he's given the kingdom into the kingdom to David. I've already told you this. And not only that, but not only are you going to lose the kingdom, you're going to lose this battle tomorrow, you and your sons. And that battle will be your last. And all of Israel will be given into the hands of the Philistines. Saul has been appointed in the Lord's words to save his people from the hand of the Philistines in 1 Samuel chapter 9 when he was first crowned king. Now both the people and the king were about to be given into the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel earlier had warned the people the consequences of unfaithfulness and rebellion, the consequence would be that the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. The very next day, this is all going to take place. Saul is paralyzed by his fear. The rest of the chapter 28, the, the witch, she asked him to eat. He hadn't eaten all day. She asked him to eat, and he at first resists, but then eventually he gives in, and he eats with her. And she tells him, I've been good to you. So I, I risk my life, and I've done what you've asked me to do. Now do something for me and eat. And it's odd that he does that because God was so good to Saul, but God couldn't get Saul to obey him at all. Saul is a double-minded man. James chapter 1, you, when I say double-minded, for some of you that... Chapter 1, verse 8 comes to mind. James says, A man like Saul, someone who's double-minded, should not expect to get help from the Lord. The judgment of God on us sometimes is that the doors of heaven are, are shut. And he gives us over to do what we want to do. And that's what Saul's doing here. He's doing what he wants to do. He's seeking out a witch to help him. 
couple things about this passage. Just a couple things for us to remember, I think, and help us apply this. Number one is God's words of, of judgment and deliverance must be trusted. I mean, Saul has been told by Samuel before Samuel died, the kingdom's going to be taken away from you. God's judging you. He's turned from you. He's not with you anymore. In fact, the Lord is against you and the kingdom's given to David. But Saul here is, is getting this witch to help call up Samuel from the dead to ask him if God has by, just by chance changed his mind about the judgment upon Saul. And God tells him through Samuel that not only will he lose his kingdom, but he and his sons are going to lose their lives the next day. God doesn't change his mind. What he says will happen will happen. And the Bible says if you're a sinner in rebellion against the Lord, which all of us are, that God will pour out his wrath upon you. The wages of sin is death. For man is destined once to die and then to face the judgment. Yeah. Yeah, God is just. He has to judge sinners. Yeah, God doesn't change his mind. But David, what about words of deliverance? David should have trusted God more and sought God's will and God's favor. But he trusted his own judgment and he goes into Philistine territory. God had already promised him that he would be ruler of Israel. David has a lapse of faith here in God's promises. And we do too, don't we? Maybe even this week. As you've been through trials and struggles and difficulty in life, have you wavered in your trust of the Lord? All of God's promises for us who believe are going to happen. God doesn't change his mind. That doesn't mean we don't have difficulties. We do have difficulties. He promises difficulties. In fact, if you live a righteous life seeking after God, you'll, be, you'll struggle because we live in a sin-filled world. And some of you in your homes, you're struggling because you live with sinners, with people maybe who don't know the Lord or want to follow the Lord right now. And so it's difficult. But God's promises for you are true. He doesn't change his mind. So God's words of deliverance and judgment must be trusted. Secondly, sin puts us in difficult situations. David's lack of faith is sin, right? And he goes to Achish and he lies and deception, that's sinful. And it resulted in him being this very difficult situation. He's led himself into a corner. I mean, think about it. If he, when Akish tells him, okay, tomorrow we're going to battle against the Israelites, and you're going to go with us, you and all your men. So he has, he and 600 of his men and all their families are there in Ziklag. And what if David says, well, you know, King, I re we really don't want to go. Well, all their lives are going to be in jeopardy. But that's what sin does. It leads you to precarious situations, doesn't it? Now what am I going to do? You've been in those, haven't you? Now what am I going to do? I, I, I lied. Ugh. Now what am I going to do? I cheated. Now what am I going to do? 
Yeah, sin leads us there, doesn't it? Thirdly, sin's a slippery slope. I mean, when Saul drove out the witches from Israel, because he had this harmful spirit from the Lord tormenting him, he would have never guessed in a, in a million years he would be seeking help from one. But that's what sin does, doesn't it? What Saul once suffered from, this harmful spirit from the Lord, he now pursues. I mean, think about some who, I'm just going to do this once. I'm just going to enjoy myself this one time. And then what happens? You lose your house. You lose your family. I'm just going to do it once. Never thinking this is going to ruin your life. Yeah. And, and what happens sometimes if we continue in that, we, God gives us over to do things they previously would have been appalled at. I mean, Saul, he's hit rock bottom, hasn't he? He's seeking out a witch to help him. The king of Israel, seeking out a witch to help him. Yeah, it's a slippery slope. Never know where it's going to take you, Numi. Fourthly, those apart from the Lord have much to fear. Saul was so afraid. He was afraid of death, and he should have been, right? He should also have been afraid of judgment. And it's interesting, you see David, as he writes the Psalms in Psalm 23, verse 4 and 6, says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's David's words, right? In contrast to Saul. Saul's afraid of death. And we should be. For those separated from the Lord, we should be f afraid. Because once we die, we face the judgment. And for those separated from the Lord, where there's been no atonement for sin, you're, you'll be at the receiving end of God's wrath for all eternity. Those apart from the Lord have much to fear. Fifthly, God is faithful and gracious to the undeserving. Well, what happens after... Chapter 28. Akish tells David he and his men are going to battle against the Israelites. These are the people that David is going to one day shepherd and rule over. He can't do that, but he's in a pickle. He can't tell him no. What's he going to do? When in chapter 29, God is so gracious to David because Akish was doting all over David, but the rest of Akish's army, they didn't trust him. And they said, you know, we're not going to take David along with us. 
because he's going to stab us in the back. We don't trust him. But Kish said, no, look what he's done. You're not going to imagine the Kish said, no, but he's been fighting against the Israelites all this time. We've been enjoying all the plunder. They said, no, we're not going. And so Akish tells David that he can't go to, to war against his own people. Whew. God is faithful. Why is he faithful? Because he told David, you're going to be king. And David wouldn't, couldn't dare be king and rule over people that he fought against, right? So God is faithful and gracious to the undeserving. Aren't you glad God is faithful and gracious to the undeserving? How many of you, how many of you deserve God's grace and His gifts that He's given you this, this week in life? No, God is faithful to us and He's gracious to us despite our sin. And we're so thankful, aren't we? We don't deserve His mercies, but yet He pours them out on us day after day. Sixth thing that I see here is don't dabble in the occult. We don't play with those things, right? We stay away from that. It's not for us to inquire into such things. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19 it says, when they say to you, inquire the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? No way. Don't do it. Le Leviticus 20, verse 6. If a person turns to mediums and necromancers, whoring after them, I will set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. In fact, the Bible tells us time and time again in the Old Testament, those who do these things should be put to death under Old Testament law. So we don't dabble in that. Seventh, last thing. David is a, a normal person. Anointed, yet flawed. I mean, God had led David time and time again through Samuel the prophet. God had spoken and led David through Gad the prophet in chapter 22. Also in chapter 22, Ahimelech, the priest, had sought the Lord's will for David. Chapters 23, God had spoken through Jonathan as he helped David find strength in God. Abiathar, Ahimelech's son, after the city of Nob is destroyed by Saul, he wore an ephod which contained the Urim and Thummim. And he too helped David know God's will. But at this point in time, we don't see David seeking God's direction. He depended on his own wisdom, and he goes to Gath, where he deceives and connives. And some, some maybe would say, well, you know, David was doing what he had to do. Maybe so. Some would say, you know that verse, he's the wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove. Well, David truly was wise as a serpent, but he wasn't innocent as a dove. But you know what? I think it helps us to see David, the anointed king of Israel. I think it helps us see his flaws. David is going to be used mightily for the Lord. 
when I see David making these mistakes and not obeying the Lord, I'm kind of encouraged. Because I don't know about you, well, I do know about you. I say that being gracious. We have clay feet, and we all blow it, and we don't walk in the Spirit all the time. We don't always speak gracious words. Sometimes we get in the flesh. Sometimes we make bad decisions. We use our own wisdom instead of the Lord's wisdom. Sometimes we make bad decisions. Some days we wake up and it's just a bad day. It's like Snoopy, right? It's, it's sunshine everywhere except right over Snoopy. And it's raining on him all day long. We have those days, don't we? I do. I'm thinking, whew. Need to go to bed because his mercies are new every day. Tomorrow's a new day. Lord, be gracious to me. I'm a sinner. Thank you for your, your grace, your forgiveness. Grow me, help me, and use me tomorrow for tomorrow's a new day. It's helpful, I think, to know that David is flawed. But, but you know, God used this flawed man in amazing ways. Some of you this week, you were comforted by David's words as you read the Psalms. God has used David even, even this week in your life. So I think that's, by way of application, several things from this passage that we should know, we should do, we should remember. If you are separated from the Lord, you have reason to be fearful. You should fear death like Saul. Because the Lord is... The Bible says the Lord is against you. You are at enmity with him. And he will pour out his wrath upon you because he's a just God. But God is also a merciful God. And he's, he left heaven and he took on flesh so he could live the life you couldn't live. And he died the life you don't have to die. On the cross, the Father poured out his wrath upon the Son making atonement for sin. He was buried. On the third day, he rose from the grave so we could be justified. That's a sweet message. If you've yet to repent, I want to encourage you to repent and trust Christ's work on the cross as your own so you can be forgiven. You can have a reconciled relationship with the Father because that's what you and I need. We need to know the Lord. We need atonement for our sins. And we need to walk out these doors today with a goal of pleasing the Lord, drawing near to Him, being led by Him, giving Him glory.